Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. This podcast is dedicated to the millions of family caregivers who want wellness tips and self-care solutions, who seek expert advice, and who want news about healthy aging and how to create well-home design in our forever homes. I'm Sherry Snelling, a corporate gerontologist, author, and educator, a TV interviewer, host, and news commentator. I'm joining you from Southern California, where our interviews and news take us all across the country to explore the many ways to help you on your caregiving journey and to lift you up here at Caregiving Club On Air. Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air and our April episode on National Stress Awareness Month, Volunteer Week, Companies That Care, and also Garden Month. I'm your host, Sherry Snelling, and on this April episode, we have a wonderful guest, Francesca Redavid, who is the Senior Director of Product Growth at Care.com. She's going to share with us a recent survey that Care.com and their business division has done on the modern workplace and how caregivers are being supported by employers, but she's also going to share a little bit about her own life-work balance, and this is all really focusing on National Stress Awareness Month particularly for working caregivers. And then in our caregiver wellness news, I'm going to be sharing some more tips on stress relief, particularly in the office, but also at home. I'm also going to share information about National Volunteer Week, National Sibling Day, and also National Pet Therapy Day, which are all happening in April. We have a lot going on in April. And then finally, I'm going to share some information and recent research on National Humor Month and how laughter can really reduce loneliness and also helps us build resiliency and better caregiver health. So stay tuned for that. And then in our Well Home Design News, since it's National Garden Month, I found this really interesting. I'm going to talk a little bit about elevated gardens, which really help our older adults who are garden lovers stay happy and getting their hands in the dirt, but also the increase in smart gardens, particularly in-home gardens. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then as always, we're going to end with our Me Time Monday wellness hack. This one is going to be on tips on how to avoid burnout, which is a perfect topic for our April National Stress Awareness Month. So with all that, let's go ahead and dive into our caregiver wellness news. So for caregiver wellness news, there's so much going on in April, but I'm going to start a little bit with National Stress Awareness Month. I think all of us <laughs> certainly experienced a lot of stress over the last three years and maybe still are struggling a little bit with our stress responses, but you know, it's always good to get some tips on how to manage that. And I wanted to just share some things that are in my upcoming book, which is Me Time Monday, the weekly self-care plan to balance body, brain, and a busy life. Lots of really great information in there about this particular topic. But, you know, I think what's really important is that we need to take some moments and maybe it's just mere minutes, a couple minutes, uh, you know, seven minutes, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a long period of time where we really kind of disconnect, get back out into nature. If you're able to get outside and, you know, maybe take a quick walk or just get out and breathe some fresh air, you know, look at some greenery. That always helps clear the mind, but don't ever feel that your stress relief relief has to be 
like an exercise program that you have to do for 20, 30, 60 minutes. It can really be just a few minutes. And if you go back to our last podcast, last month, one of our podcasts, we talked about Nixon, which is the Dutch art of doing nothing. Very interesting stuff that I shared there. But I also talked about Huga, which has been around now for quite a while that people are familiar with. And that's from Denmark. And that's about unplugging. And it really is kind of getting a little break from the technology you know, getting a little digital detox, all of those are really important. I think the other things I'd like to share with you that are a little preview of the book as well is that you really have to earn your me time. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're in control of our own wellness and we have to use that agency that we've been given in order to break away, really put priority on ourselves bring ourselves back into balance with everything else we have going on in life. Really, it's probably a lot easier to say than do. But as I said, if you just take baby steps or what I call micro flows in the book, and you just find a few moments to do something for you, maybe it's reading a chapter in a book, maybe as I said, it's listening to music, just, you know, daydreaming and looking out the window, whatever that that relief is and that release is, that's what you need to get. The other thing is, you know, we put value on relationships, not things. And I think that's really important. It's really about the quality of our relationships. And, you know, we're going to talk in a minute to you, Francesca David, about what's going on in the modern workplace. But I thought that this statistic that I just came across was really interesting. And it said that only three in 10 people say they have a best friend at work. And so we're seeing this increase in workplace loneliness, and it really is impacting retention issues because employers find that when you have a really good friend or a great relationship or more than one great relationship at work, it will keep you loyal. It will keep you dedicated to that company because you've got the strength of these bonds. So we can't overlook the value of friendship when it comes to our workplaces. And again, we're going to talk a little bit more with Francesca about that. But let me also now dive into National Humor Month. And I think this also relates to the friendships and relationships that we've been talking about. So You know, loneliness is a big issue in health, as we know. Now, we talk a lot about loneliness with our older loved ones, our parents and our grandparents, but, you know, loneliness happens to all of us at any age. And the definition of loneliness is where you're not necessarily socially isolated, which is another term you probably hear that's often used at the same time as loneliness, almost as if they mean the same thing and they don't. Social isolation is where you're physically not able to socialize, whether you can't get out because you don't drive anymore, or maybe you're not as mobile as you used to be, that's more social isolation. Loneliness is really about the quality of our relationships. It's how we define those relationships and find that bond that we're looking for as social beings. And so loneliness, as I said, can happen regardless of whether we're in a relationship or have children or have siblings, or even, you know, have friends, we still might have a sense of loneliness because the quality of the relationship is not as good. So, you know, I've talked a little bit about loneliness in the past, so I'm not going to go into too much depth here, but we do know this is a global pandemic of loneliness now. Great Britain and Japan both now have government positions, ministers of loneliness that are tackling these issues throughout their citizenry. There's a lot of research that's been done here in the U.S. about how loneliness impacts our health. A really famous study was that 
if you're chronically lonely, which there was a statistic here that I'm looking for. I think it was over 9 million people over the age of 50 are chronically lonely. That's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And it can certainly increases your risk for diabetes, for heart disease, and even an increase for Alzheimer's. It's a 40% increase for Alzheimer's risk if you're chronically lonely. We don't want to be lonely. We want to have good relationships. John Clifton, he was the CEO of Gallup. And you know, Gallup does their annual happiness survey every year. He calls what's happening right now with the loneliness situation, friendship deserts, which I thought was a really great term. I like that. I think I'm going to adopt that. But you know, we know that 330 million people globally, this comes from Gallup, Okay, 330 million people globally go as long as two weeks without talking to any friends or family members. Wow. We thought that only happened in our older population again, because maybe you've lost, you know, your spouse or partner, your kids live far away, everybody's busy and you just don't communicate as well. But it's actually a much bigger problem that goes beyond just our older loved ones that we need to really think about. The other thing that I write about in the book, and I have a whole lot of research and science that backs up a lot of the tips and the types of things I'm trying to help you with. There was a study that was published in Neurology that showed adults over the age of 57 who had higher rates of loneliness had actually changes in their brain. So less gray matter, And again, so you're changing your brain structure and how your brain functions, your brain health by being lonely. So these are all reasons that we need to, you know, get out of the loneliness zone or the friendship desert and make some connections. And one of the greatest things I think about friendships is laughter. Being able to laugh with a friend is always such a great stress reliever. It releases those endorphins, which actually help us with pain relief. It boosts our serotonin, which is our feel-good hormone for our mood. It's a mood booster. And there was a woman that I met, we were both on the doctor's TV show a couple years ago, and her name is Danny Klein. And her mother had dementia and she was in a memory care facility. And Danny actually knew a lot of comedians in Hollywood. She put together a company called Laughter on Call. Really fantastic idea where comedians who didn't have a gig or weren't filming a TV show or movies or whatever, they could volunteer to go to memory care facilities and help people with dementia, pull them out of the darkness of not having memory and not remembering certain things and just make them laugh. And a really, really great solution, I think. And Danny, I mean, it's very, very popular. Employers are using it now. She did a lot online during the pandemic. I think you can still access a lot of the online sessions for Laughter on Call. But it's just a really great example of how we can have this creativity and create these connections and have a little giggle, if you will, that just kind of gets us past all of sometimes the challenges and the hardships in life. You know, it's actually part of our ancient brain. I talk a lot about this in the book. It taps back to over uh, researchers feel that over 10 million years ago is we started using laughter as our original form of language because we didn't have words yet. We used expressions like body language, but we use things like laughter and crying, of course, but laughter would be the opposite. 
to actually communicate with each other. So it's, it is part of that ancient brain that we tap into so often that really does comfort us and soothe us. And, you know, again, I talk a lot about that in the book. So hopefully you'll read all about that when that comes out in August for National Wellness Month. Perfect timing for the book. I also want to do a quick shout out because we're talking about laughter. And one of the things I really cherish about my brother, Tom, who, if he's listening to this podcast, I'm doing a little shout out to my great younger brother, Tom. But April 10th is National Sibling Day. I always like to put a photo of the two of us from Disneyland or, you know, our birthdays are only three days apart, even though they were four years apart, me being the older sister. But we always used to go to Disneyland or Knott's Berry Farm here in California or wherever. So I always like to find a throwback photo and put that up for National Siblings Day. But I really cherish the fact that we laugh so much when we're together. I mean, my brother's super humorous guy and so funny. It's one of those bonding. You know, you really feel bonded, I think, with people when you can have the same kind of humor. The other thing, too, is I just want to do a quick shout out because, you know, because we're living longer, a lot of siblings now are caring for siblings So we often think as a caregiver, we're caring for a child or we're caring for a special needs child, or maybe we're caring for an older parent or grandparent, but we're also caring for siblings. And in fact, I wrote an article a few years ago and I interviewed some twins who were 52 years old. And one of the twins was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, not the other one, just one of the twins, both their parents were gone. So that one sister who was well wound up becoming the caregiver to her sister. And in fact, sibling caregivers are in their role much longer than, you know, if we were caring for an older parent or grandparent. So it's about four and a half years caring for an older loved one, but it's about seven to nine years if you're caring for a sibling. So it's a much longer caregiving journey. And then also wanted to do a shout out for National Volunteer Week, which is April 16th through the 22nd. There's lots of great ways that you can help volunteer if you want to support a family caregiver, or even a friend that you know. And I just want to remind you to go back to season two and check out our interview with Tia Newcomer of Caring Bridge, fantastic online community that you can create where you can get volunteers that are in your private circle that will volunteer to help you out with certain things if you're really crunched with caregiving responsibilities and duties and things. And this is also a little bit of part of my book. I call it the social convoy model, which actually a great researcher, Tony Antonucci, was the one who created the social convoy model. But I use that for caregivers to really help identify who is in our inner circles that we can really tap into as volunteers to help us as caregivers. So you'll you'll learn a little bit more about that in the book. And then finally, National Pet Therapy Day, April 30th. We love our pets. We know they lower our blood pressure. Really interesting study that came out showed that dogs develop dementia in very similar ways that we develop dementia in our brains and Alzheimer's, and that is through being sedentary. We've got to get out there and move now that it's spring. Hopefully the weather's a little bit better wherever you are. And getting outside even for just a few minutes and our dogs really help with that. So if you're a dog lover like me, it's a great excuse to have a pet because they get you outside. If you have an older loved one that isn't really capable of managing a pet because of their health issues or whatever, there's a really great solution. And another great interview we did with Ted Fisher, who is the CEO of Ageless Innovation and Joy for All Companion Pets is their solution. They're robotic pets, but they're very lifelike. 
And they've been shown to really reduce the wandering and agitation for older adults in memory care facilities and also at home. So check that out. That interview with Ted is really fascinating. And they've moved on now to other types of products that they're bringing out that really help people who are living at home, but also who have dementia and need, you know, more support connecting and being able to have, you know, have the love of a pet, which we know is really big. So with that, I'm going to turn to our interview with Francesca Redavid. As I mentioned, she is the Senior Director of Product Growth at Care.com. Care.com came out with a survey recently that is called the Modern Workplace Report. We're going to talk to Francesca about that, but we're also going to talk to her about how she manages her life-work balance in this world of caregiving and stress release and relief and all these things that we're talking about. So here's my interview with Francesca Redavid. So I'm really thrilled to have our guest today, who is Francesca Redavid, and she is the Senior Director of Product Growth for Care.com. So Francesca, welcome to Caregiving Club on Air. Thank you so much, Sherry. I'm super excited to be here. I'm super excited to talk to you as well. And, you know, as everybody knows, we always ask our guests where we're talking to you from today. So where are you? (laughs) I'm in a suburb of Dallas, Texas. Oh, wonderful. We love Texas. So (laughs) hopefully your weather is good right now. I know everybody's been suffering through some of the rain and snow and all that. How's Texas and Dallas been? Oh, right now it's perfect weather. It's almost 80 degrees. The mosquitoes aren't here yet. So this is like a <laughs> period of time where, yeah. <laughs> Everybody loves that Texas weather. Well, great. It's great to have you today. And, you know, one of the things we're going to focus on, of course, is caregivers who are in the workplace. You know, we're working full-time, maybe part-time, but then we're also juggling this additional job called family caregiver. I know that there's a lot that care.com does to obviously support caregivers, whether you're working or not. So give us just a little overview of care.com services, and then tell us specifically what care.com does to support those employees in the workplace. Happy to. So care.com is the world's leading platform for families to help find and manage caregivers for their home for their pets, and then more importantly, for their children and parents. Care for Business is our enterprise arm, which partners with employers to help provide a whole bunch of family care benefits designed to help support working families so that they can work better and live their lives better. Some of the benefits that we offer through Care for Business include one-on-one specialized support with a care consultant. They can help you navigate everything from pay to contracts, to taxes, to how to interview, to find the best caregiver. Also free access to care.com, which gives you access to our large platform of fully vetted caregivers that you can utilize for full-time, part-time, et cetera help. And then my personal favorite, which is backup care. So when life inevitably throws you a curveball and your caregiver is sick, et cetera, and you have this really important presentation at work, I like to use care.com's backup care benefit to help support me when I need it. Well, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, it's so important 
that everybody out there listening understand that, you know, employers are certainly recognizing, I think, more of the role that employees are playing in caring for. When we talk about caregiver now, we're talking about anybody who's caring for a child all the way through maybe caring for a spouse or a grandparent or an older parent or in-law. And Care.com really covers that spectrum, which I think is really unique about Care.com because you can offer, as you just said, those employees can tap into you not only to get great advice and guidance, but also find those professional caregivers, whether it's your children that you need help with or whether it's, you know, your mom. So I think that's really tremendous. Let's jump into you as a company, care.com, just recently did a report called the Modern Workplace Report. And it was really a fascinating report. I think, you know, we've all been through the pandemic and everybody kind of saw our work from home situations. (laughs) Caregiving certainly got a bright spotlight, I think, during that. And what your report showed is that about a little over three quarters of employees who are caregivers say, you know what, the remote work really works for me. There's a lot of flexibility. And the managers, by the way, agree in your report. But we do know that there's a lot of companies, Amazon, Salesforce, you know, some others, Goldman Sachs, that are calling for the employees to come back into the office. So what do you see happening out there trend-wise in terms of that flexibility of work from home for specifically caregivers to continue to kind of get that access? I'm really glad you brought that up. When we first started to field questions for the report, that was the big question that we had ourselves, which is how are people feeling about working remote from both an employee perspective and an employer perspective? And we thought at the time that there weren't enough answers to that, that the data that we were reading about remote work didn't really reflect on like satisfaction and happiness. And so we were really keen to ask that question. And we were surprised to learn that as you just as you mentioned, that over 77% of both employers and employees agree that remote work offers greater life satisfaction. And so you mentioned now we're in a post-pandemic world, thankfully, and we're watching how companies are navigating return to work. And the way that we see it, or the way that I see it, is that in order for employers to attract and retain top talent, they'll need to keep the flexibility within work. It's working. We know also through that report that people are more productive, that both managers and employees feel that they've been more productive, they're working more hours, they're creating more output, and people like it. And so if employers want to remain competitive and keep top talent, they're going to need to be flexible as well. I love that thought about the productivity, because I think going into this, that was the big concern, right, from the employer's perspective is, are we going to lose that? And yet they did see that people were probably working harder and more hours, even though you had that flexibility. I know I've worked from home now for a while as a consultant. And, you know, if I have to run an errand or do something for my mental health during the day, I know, okay, well, if I need to get it done, I can stay up till midnight or whatever it is. (laughs) We're not going to stay in the office until midnight, but maybe we would go to our home office or whatever. You know, it's really interesting because John Clifton, who we're going to have on the podcast in a future episode, and he's the CEO of Gallup. Gallup, of course, is the wonderful survey company, and they have done an annual happiness survey on a global basis now for over a decade. And he just wrote a book called Blind Spot. And one of the things I thought was interesting, I just wanted to read this to you and get your reaction. So he said that one in five employees are thriving at work 
while 62% are indifferent and 18% are just downright miserable. And so, you know, when I went to MIT to get my certificate in shaping the jobs of the future and Tom Koshin, he was the wonderful professor that runs that course, talked about how the workplace is really based on a model from the 1950s and 1960s. And we haven't really evolved it that much. Now, certainly companies, of course, have, but we need to create new social contracts. And I think a big part of this is the caregiving conversation. You know, what are the types of things that you see? And do you feel like caregivers are now starting to get more recognition from employers who are saying, listen, we've got to put certain benefits in place and have employee input on what their needs are? So to address the John Clifton, his comment or his report on only one in five employees thriving, to hear that statistic makes me kind of sad. It's really not a great thing to um, hear, but it's not surprising. As you just mentioned, like the way people work hasn't really changed that much. I mean, it's changed dramatically over the last couple of years because it's had to, but we're still largely in an environment that was designed in the 1950s where the way that we live was dramatically different. What I'd like to mention is that in the report that we created, we know that remote work increases happiness. And I've actually, kind of similar to you, Sherry, I've worked remote for a really long time, for eight years now. I'm, I had been one of the only employees that worked remote at my company eight years ago, and I managed a team remote. And my whole team was based out of New York and I was having a baby and I moved to Texas and I was either going to quit my job or I needed that flexibility. And so I took a chance and I asked my boss at the time to see if working remote was a possibility. I offered going, you know, traveling to New York every couple of months to meet my team, promised that I was going to be productive. And he had complete faith in me and allowed me complete flexibility. And that made a huge difference in my life because it allowed me to keep the job that I love, but also allowed me to be home with my newborn daughter as a new mother. And I wasn't able to watch her throughout the day. I had a nanny, but I was able to be there and be there for her important moments, like when she first walked or when she first you know, said her first words. And that's invaluable. And so what I learned throughout that process was that remote work is possible as a remote manager, as someone who managed a fully in-person team, my team thrived. I had very little attrition on my team and we were largely hailed as one of the most productive teams within the company. And it was the only team pretty much that was managed by a remote manager. And so I've seen firsthand how well remote work can, can work. I've also seen firsthand the many challenges of remote work and work in general, being a working mother, being a someone responsible for other human beings, as well as responsible for yourself, and then also your work. It's really, really challenging. And we do our best every day, but remote work does makes a huge difference in being able to navigate that and have that flexibility. You mentioned mental health. You know, I have to work out four or five times a week, it makes a huge difference to be physically active to my mental health. Also eat healthy, eating healthy is really important. I just know that I'm like, these are the things I need to do in order to keep Francesca running well. And remote work allows me to do that because I'll have time to go to the gym and I have time to cook healthy dinners. And so I can't stress enough the importance that 
remote work has had on my life in order to help me and my family and even my company thrive. Well, I hope if we have any HR directors out there or CEOs who might be listening to this, that they're really paying attention because I can hear in your voice that you've got certainly loyalty to this company that's, you know, provided kind of that flexible workplace for you so you can have that balance in your life. I'm interested in your remote leadership. Are there any tips or skills or things that you can say that really worked managing a team remotely? Anything you can share? Great question. For me, I think the thing that I've learned that makes working remote important is connection. People need to feel connected to their employer and their their manager, I think, in order to create great work. And so the way that I do that is as simple as using more simple jargon in conversation, not being so stiff and formal. I think it was different when I was in an office. It was just, let's get down to business. Here, I often take a couple of minutes before every meeting to ask my team how they're doing, to ask them about their weekend. I remember details and I follow up on that. Like, you know, how was so-and-so's play and how's your keto diet going? And, you know, things that you are very conversational, but that show the people on my team that I care. And I think that that has made it much easier for me to foster connections with my employees. I think it's really important, and I hope that comes across, that I actually do care. (laughs) You can't fake that. Like, you you know, and (laughs) I want my employees to do great work because that's what drives me. But I also want my employees to feel supported and I want them to feel like they can bring their whole self to work. And I know that in order to do that, you have to allow for your employees to be real people. So that's my main tip is being conversational, not being so formal and actually caring about people. Yeah. And I can hear that authenticity. You're right. That's so important. And I think there's a trust that gets built into having managers and supervisors who really do care. And I love that you've taken kind of people worry about, well, we don't have the water cooler conversations when we're remote or, you know, we're not having those kind of more informal things, but you're saying you can make that virtual, you know, not everything that you do on Zoom has to be just about a meeting or whatever it is, you know, you can have conversations and have personal interactions with people, which is really great. You know, one of the things coming up is we're celebrating in March, on March 16th, companies that care day and obviously care.com cares a lot about its employees. And also you're helping other employers to care for their employees. We've heard from some caregivers that in some ways they want to stay at work, even though they've got this new responsibility, you know, caring for a loved one, they do want to spend time at work. It gives them kind of that that feeling of personal growth. And also sometimes when you're a caregiver, particularly for an older loved one, you can't control a disease like Alzheimer's. You can't control some of the fragmentation that goes on in the healthcare system. So being at work gives you a little bit more of that sense of control. You can accomplish things and it's really important. And so talk a little bit about how care.com really helps with that balance. And do you feel like employees really do appreciate having that service, having somebody they can talk to, but also that, you know, you've got a platform of professional caregivers that can help them so they can stay at work? Great questions. I think that employees need to know what works for them. So what we learned through the survey is that 
the overwhelming majority of employees prefer the flexibility of remote work. And then there's lots of different ways that remote work can work. You can have remote with the option to go into the office, remote hybrid option. I think that what's important is that employees know what works for them. For example, some people are really introverted. They just want to get their job done and then do whatever they need to do. They don't need to chit chat. I love to chit chat. I love to be like, I love the face-to-face contact. When I first started working remote, I had asked my company if they would subsidize one of those co-working spaces so that I could just have people to look at other than an infant. Right. (laughs) And it worked out great for me. It wasn't the same thing as working with your colleagues, but it gave me that sense of I'm getting dressed up to go to work and I'm getting a coffee and I'm going in and then going home. And so it gave me, but I also had the flexibility to not go into the office. And that was huge for me. And so what I've learned throughout my career is you just have to understand what works for you, what works for your family, and to advocate for yourself. And then also see it from an employer perspective. So I was able to determine like, this is how much it's going to cost you. If you break it down in a way that shows that you've also considered their side of the story, then I think you'll have a much greater chance of having a yes. But net net is what I said, is just know what works for you and then advocate for yourself because ultimately happy employees I've experienced firsthand will bring back several fold in workplace productivity. Absolutely. I think what you're saying is so true. The bottom line can be improved when you've got engaged employees, loyal employees. Obviously, there's a lot of challenges right now for HR departments with the great resignation and a lot of women who left the workplace. A lot of it was based on caregiving. And so if you can create an environment where you said you've got choices, you know, we see that in healthcare too. Everything's becoming a lot more personalized. It's no longer one size fits all, right? It's, listen, I have a choice. I can go into the office and I can get care.com to, you know, back me up on emergencies or be there for a few hours, or I can work from home on a few days. That kind of flexibility, I think, is what hopefully the workplaces of the future are going to look like. And it's wonderful that care.com is playing such a leadership role in this. You know, one question I did want to ask you is some of the stuff I see, because I've been so immersed in more of the elder care, if you will, you know, taking care of an older loved one from the perspective of the caregiving continuum, as we said, which starts with, you know, caring for your children and going all the way through your life. Do you feel like employers pay as much attention to caring for our older adults and support those employees as much as they do an employee who might be having, you know, a a new child or a family like you are? This week, we released a new report called The Future of Benefits, where we surveyed HR professionals across the U.S. to understand what are the top topics that they're looking for in terms of benefits in general, not just care benefits. And one of the things that we learned through that survey was that elderly care, senior care, parental care was top of mind Mm -hmm. for both these HR professionals because that was top of mind for employees because employees are starting to speak up. I think the problem is not necessarily that employers aren't thinking about senior care. I think the problem is that Frankly, employees aren't talking enough about it. I think it's easier to talk about children because 
you know, so-and-so had this game and -and so-and-so had that game or. Well, and it's happy, right? Those are like joyful conversations. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Alzheimer's is not joyful. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. It's not joyful. It's visibly, like can be invisible because they're not even listed as dependent, like, you know? And so I have another story. I learned this a few years ago with one of the women on my team who was not performing well. And I had to have a, like, a really frank conversation with her to say, you're not doing what we hope you can do. What can I do to help you reach your goals? What can I help you reach the KPIs that you need in order to like do what you're supposed to do as in your job? And we talked about it. We came up with the plan. And then the next day she called me and she said, I have something I really need to tell you. My mother is really sick. And it's physically and mentally exhausting. And your mother was going through Alzheimer's. She was going through these really taxing emotionally to have to care for your parents when they have those kind of issues. It's, it's really sad, but it's the reality. And she was not only a mother of two children, but also the caregiver for her mother who was rapidly declining. And so with that, After she was honest with me about that, not even after, you know, I think me having that conversation and showing empathy with like, this is what I'm seeing. This isn't working. Like, what can we do? I think gave her the trust that she needed in order to say, this is what's happening with me. And she was my, on my team for almost a year. And I hadn't even considered the personal things that she was going through. And then we were able to start, she was able to have more um, honest conversations with me. I can't make this meeting. I have to take my mother to the hospital. I can't do this. I can't, yeah, or I can do this. This is what's going to work for me. And the turnaround was amazing. She felt supported at work. She felt like she could be her real self, that she didn't have to hide her mother. I mean, I'm not saying she was hiding it. I just, she wasn't telling me and I didn't think to ask. Yeah, you feel almost like you're you're burdening people when you're talking about how difficult or challenging caregiving can be, I think. Yeah. And I'm not saying you have to tell your employer or your boss like what's happening, but I I saw in that case that it really helped her, really helped me, it really helped the company because she completely turned around. She was a star employee after that. And so I learned then that you never really know what's going on in people's lives and that it's really important to as manager to have candid conversations but also and show vulnerability as well because i think that helps people be able to be vulnerable themselves and therefore have those real conversations in order to get to the crux of what we're trying to do here which is do a good job for our companies yeah i'm so happy to hear you say that. You said a couple of things, um, Francesca, that I think are so important for our audience. One is we always talk about when we become caregivers, we need to become an advocate for our loved one. You know, we're part of their voice and and part of that. But we need to be advocate for ourselves. And I've heard you say that now a couple of times. I think that's a really important point for us to remember is that we have to advocate as much for ourselves as our loved ones. And the asking, the empathy, as you said, making this an environment that yes, productivity and our goals at work are certainly important. We can't take the eye off the ball, but at the same time, we're humans and we're people and we are here hopefully to support each other. So, you know, I love some of the comments that you've really made. The other thing is that 
a lot of the caregivers, I think, in your report said that they really felt like the benefits were pretty good. Is there anything that you see that works really well or that's a really popular benefit that you provide to employees? Or are there still some gaps that you feel like, okay, it would be great if we could address these types of things? In terms of what's really popular for people, I mean, at CARE, it's backup care, the specialized care, just access to our platform. Backup care is often subsidized, so you're not paying full price. It's an amazing benefit, one that obviously I'm a huge fan of. I think that what I've learned, there are so many care benefits or benefits in general that we have that we don't even know of. So for anyone listening, I would encourage you all to read up, talk to HR, really understand what's available to you, because I think you might be surprised at the quality of of benefits that you have. And oftentimes what we find is that people aren't fully utilizing their benefits. Like one of the problems that we have is that we're seeing that not everyone knows that they have this benefit. And what I encourage people to do in general is just speak to HR, speak to whoever you need to speak to, but understand really what's available to you. And so you can make the best decisions for you and your family with that. That's a great, great insight. And there's another report that I had read recently. It was done in the US and the UK among, I think it was among 150,000 employees. So it was a very, very large survey. And they were finding that about 23%, so that's less than a quarter of employees even knew about certain benefits like the caregiving benefit, the backup emergency benefit you're talking about. And only 15% had even tapped into those benefits. So there's a lot being left on the table. And I think you're right kind of finding out, just, you know, digging into what's available to me, thinking about that is really important. We're kind of coming up on the end of time. I could talk to you (laughs) forever about all this stuff, and it's been really (laughs) great, all the things that you've been sharing. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you feel is really important for the audience to know? Yes. One of the things that we haven't covered yet is a statistic that we learned through the report, which is 77% of both men and women agree that remote work has equaled the playing field for career advancement between genders. I was really surprised to read that. I was really pleased. I think, frankly, we have a lot of work still to do, in my opinion. But I think the reason that people feel way more confident in their ability to advance in their careers equally among the opposite gender is probably One, because of the flexibility we've discussed, women don't have to leave the workforce when they have children. They have the flexibility to manage both. And I think that helps significantly because it keeps women in the workforce. Secondly, I think that video, audio removes some unconscious bias that people might have in person and may not realize could be detrimenting like the people that they're working with. At care.com, we do a lot of video calls, but I know for some of my friends, they do a lot of audio. Ultimately, what that means is people are listening more to what you're saying and not looking at you and judging you for whether you're too short or too tall or what you're wearing, you know? And so I think that that's an amazing benefit because for people who are really talented who might have suffered for some unconscious bias, they have a more equal playing field. Now I'm I'm not saying that it's perfect, and I'm not saying that all unconscious bias has been removed. We still have a ways to go, but I think that that's helping. And so, and when I think about how is that 77%, what are those people thinking and why are they thinking that? I think those are some of the reasons why people feel like the opportunity for career 
advancement between genders is equalizing. And I'm really pleased to hear that. And I hope that we continue to make strides there. You're right. That is such an important statistic. And I think, you know, anything we can do, as you said, to kind of level that playing field. And certainly, again, services like care.com help particularly women who feel like, well, now I have to make a choice. You know, now there's two, there's a fork in the road. Is it going to be my family and children or is it going to be my career with the services that your employer can provide like the care.com services? Those choices become not so divergent right? Which is really great. Well, it's just been fantastic talking to you. And I want to thank you so much for sharing so much with the audience. And hopefully the audience took a lot away from what you said. And I think there's certainly, you know, a bright future, hopefully for our workplaces. I want to hope that the C-suite and the HR departments, you know, kind of keep in mind how important caregiving is in our lives. And yet, you know, we want to have that work for us, have that balance. So thank you so much. I didn't do this up front, but I want to just fully disclose that I'm really proud to do work for care.com because I do your caregiver webinars on a monthly basis for employees. So I do have a connection with the company and it's just been really great working with you guys. And I love doing those talks that we get a lot of feedback from the employees on different topics and things. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And thank you for having me. I've had so much fun talking to you. And I'm really thankful that you had me on. You let me share my my thoughts on our modern workplace report, our future of benefits report, which also came out this week. If your listeners want to learn more, they can just go to care.com. RM is called care.com slash business. And as I mentioned, being an advocate for yourself, if y'all don't have any type of care, specialized care program, then you should talk to HR about it, show them care for business and HR leaders, executives love the feedback from their employees. And I think that's, again, it's really important to advocate for yourself. We also have a podcast called Why Care, which is hosted by our CEO, Tim Allen, and Rasma Shijani, who is the founder of Girls Who Code. Really interesting topics of conversation on our broken care system and how to fix it. I encourage you guys to listen to that. And then we're also on Instagram, which I just learned. Oh, and we're on TikTok, Instagram, and some other social media. But you can just check it out at care.com, care, D-O-T-C-O-M, literally spelled out. Great. Well, those are all wonderful resources. We're going to include that, by the way, on our episode guide page. So we'll have links to all of that. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. And again, Francesca, just really appreciate your time. Wonderful to meet you and to talk to you and learn all the great things that are going on at care.com. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you for advocating for people who need support everywhere. So I really appreciate all the work you're doing. So for our welcome design news, I wanted to share something that actually came out during the research for my book. I mentioned Me Time Monday, the weekly self-care plan to balance body, brain, and a busy life. And as many of you know who've listened to me in the past, I've fallen in love with biophilic design, which is all about bringing nature inside, but also immersing yourself in nature in your environments, whether you're inside or outside. And so I came across this really interesting trend, which is really starting to pick up. And in fact, there was just a recent article in Wired Magazine about it, but it's all about elevated gardens, particularly gardens you can bring indoors, as well as smart gardens. So I thought I'd share just a little bit of this with you, and you're going to read a little bit more about it in my book. But, you know, when it comes to elevated gardens, they're really great for our older adults, because my mom is an absolute 
top gardener. She has beautiful rose bushes and beautiful everything. I'm kind of on the opposite side. When I bring things into the house, they usually leave in a trash bag. Although I have learned through biophilic design that there are certain plants, thankfully things like English ivy and bamboo and other things that are living and thriving in my home. But my mom has a beautiful garden and I think about her um, and she's getting older and she's got, you know, arthritis and it's a little bit more difficult to, you know, be sitting on a pad and bending on your knees and all that. But she loves getting her hands in the dirt and just being out there kind of planting things, watching them grow. We talk about in gerontology, the selective optimization and compensation theory, which is how we can adapt what we love so we don't have to abandon it. But maybe we do it a little bit differently. And this is why I love these elevated gardens, because if your loved one really loves elevated gardens, you can actually get these gardens that are higher so that you don't have to bend down. You could get them at a level where you could actually sit and do your gardening, or you can put them in a level where you're standing, kind of like a standing desk, and do your gardening. And so it's a really great solution for anybody who has an older loved one that loves their gardening, but is finding it a little bit more challenging and difficult to get out there and do all the bending and stooping and everything that's required. So think about that. Now, the other flip side of this is we can also now bring our gardening indoors. And so there's a real increase right now in smart gardens. And I came across, as I mentioned, this article that talked a lot about this. And what it is, is it's actually where they almost look like an aquarium or a bookcase, but you can have multi-levels or you can have one level, but they're all elevated, obviously. They're off the ground. And the underlying pad for where you set the plants has LED lights that are crafted and designed specifically to nurture the plant life. They also fertilize themselves and also water themselves. So again, smart gardens. It's a really interesting idea. I think it's kind of a great way to bring, again, that biophilic design in, whether you want to have a little herb garden, whether you want to have some, you know, plant life and maybe dedicate almost like a whole little bookshelf to this. It's a really cool idea. And then you can manage some of the things that are happening with the plants, like the automatic watering and fertilizing stuff off of an app that actually you can download for your smartphone. So this is a really big deal. And it's also very eco-friendly. So a lot of people who are into this for Earth Day, which I forgot to mention is coming up on April 20th or 22nd. So sorry if I got that wrong. But, you know, that's also in April. And so you save a lot. In fact, you save 95% of the watering that you would do in a regular garden if you have these indoor gardens, these smart gardens. And so they're Wi-Fi enabled and all that. I mentioned that and app-based. You can also have Alexa or voice-first type technology that you can integrate with this so that you can just talk to Alexa and tell Alexa, hey, water the garden or whatever it is. Now, if you don't want to go all the way into a smart garden solution, and the only thing that I would caution is that with the LED lights, they do emit that blue light that we talk about, which doesn't allow you to get to sleep. So if you were to put these in your bedroom, not going to probably be a good idea in terms of getting your body into that restful sleep where you want to eliminate all that LED blue light and change out your nightlights and things to kind of more of an orange, ambery, red kind of nightlight is what we've recommended in the past. But, you know, you'd want to have these in an area where it's not going to disturb your sleep. But if you don't want to go the smart 
garden route, you know, the little herb gardens that you can put in a windowsill or just having certain plants like I do around the home. One of the things that we know is that it helps to oxygenate the air. Now, you'd have to have so many of them truly to really purify the air, but it does help with air care. It helps with air quality, certainly. And particularly, as I mentioned, some of those plants like English ivy, like bamboo, spider plants are also good. They are really great at pulling the toxins and pollutants out of the air. You know, we have about 45 pounds of toxins and dust and pollutants in our homes, just in general in the air. And these plants will really help with that and particularly certain plants. So again, this is all part of my book, The Me Time Monday book that's coming up. You can read all the details about it, but I thought it was really fascinating. I just wanted to share with you this rise in gardens that have risen, gardens that, and it's perfect for, you know, this whole time of the year, but it's uh, gardens that are elevated or smart gardens that also are elevated and that you can also bring into the home. So with that, we're going to turn now to our Me Time Monday wellness hack. And as I mentioned, this one is on our tips for burnout, which is a perfect way to address National Stress Awareness Month. So here we are with our Me Time Monday wellness hack. Welcome to our Me Time Monday wellness hack. I'm Sherry Snelling, a gerontologist and creator of the Me Time Monday program. This hack is on how caregivers can banish and beat burnout. Burnout is when we cannot take it anymore and we either have an emotional meltdown or we feel too overwhelmed to go on. What we need to do is bring your stress response back to balance so that it does not impact your health and mental well-being. Now, what is burnout? We know that it's both physical as well as emotional. Pew Research said that 32% of caregivers report stress with caregiving. However, 88% also said that caregiving can be rewarding. And we know that For caregivers who are caring for someone with a loved one with dementia or Alzheimer's, there's even more stress and more burnout, 24% more stress hormones, 15% less antibodies to help our immune system, and two to three times the levels of depression as the general population. Now, we also know that during the pandemic, the Caregiver Wellbeing Index told us that 72% of family caregivers were expressing burnout. And among our younger generation caregivers, that would be people who are of the millennial or Gen Z generation, their burnout rates were higher at 80%. So we know that caregiving is a marathon, not a sprint. And you know, even a world-class athlete can run the 100 dash in 9.1 seconds, but you can't keep up that pace for 26 miles. So we have to figure out ways that we can help bring that balance back when we feel an ongoing stress response, which ultimately becomes burnout. So I mentioned that burnout is both physical and emotional. Let's talk just quickly about the physical signs of burnout. If you're having muscle aches, back pain, headaches, fatigue, exhaustion, lowered immunity, and you're catching frequent colds or even the flu. Also insomnia and disrupted sleep, higher blood pressure than usual, and perhaps even turning to alcohol or smoking or prescription drugs like sleep aids to cope. We know that 10% of all caregivers actually do turn to these types of things, which can then have great impact on your health. 
So when I worked on the caregiver health study about 18 years ago, 85% of caregiving women reported being in a downward health spiral because of the added responsibilities of caregiving and not being able to move, maybe physically lifting or cleaning, but not moving, getting oxygen to our blood through circulation and cardiovascular aerobic activity. All of these things are really great. We have to keep moving and we have to get good sleep. If there's two things that you could do, it would be to just find a few minutes a day to take a walk, get out into nature, but also to get good non-interrupted sleep. Those are the things that we need to focus on as caregivers. Now, when it comes to the emotional signs of burnout, we know that things like sadness, depression, crying bouts, also anger, irritability, maybe some emotional outbursts, finding it hard to concentrate and focus, maybe even feeling bored and having no enthusiasm for anything in life, becoming cynical or disillusioned or hopeless, and also grief and guilt, which are probably two of the biggest emotions that we see when we become caregivers. We're dealing with a lot of grief over our loved one's diagnosis or their condition, but also a lot of guilt that maybe we can't be there as much as we could, whether it's for our loved one or whether it's for our family and friends or our work. We just have a lot of guilt that we're carrying around. And this can also lead to things like loneliness. We talked about loneliness in the podcast episode, but loneliness is something that really greatly impacts our health. We know it increases our risk for diabetes as well as cardiovascular disease and even Alzheimer's. So really finding outlets for our emotional signs of burnout become really important. Now, you might also hear people talk about compassion fatigue. This is actually something we see a lot in professional healthcare and professional caregiving circles is compassion fatigue, where you're helping someone go through their journey of dealing with an illness or dealing with a diagnosis and you have that compassion fatigue. So again, whether you're a professional caregiver or a family caregiver, we know that the emotional side of burnout is actually probably more stressful and more impactful to our health than even the physical sides of burnout. So I'm gonna talk in a few minutes about seven things that you can do, particularly to help with the emotional sides of burnout. And so we know that even God needed a break, right? We have seven days in the week and the seventh day was for rest. So what's really important and what's the big message here for all caregivers is that you've got to get a respite break. Even if it's for a few moments where you take a pause, you do a digital detox, or you get away from the stressful events of the day and the responsibilities of caregiving for your loved one, and you find just a little time for yourself where you can just kind of disconnect for a few minutes, whether it's reading a chapter in a book, listening to some music, getting away from a lot of the technology and a lot of the stressors that we have just to refresh ourselves and to really be able to get that stamina to keep going as caregivers. So we, if we push ourselves too hard, this is where we see burnout happen because you get to a breaking point where it's just so overwhelming, or again, your own health is gonna be in a downward health spiral and we don't want you to get there. So what we do need to do is ask for and accept help and really reach out and get that SOS, you know, that 911 caregiver help that we all need. And so here are seven things to think about. Many of these I write about in my upcoming book, Me Time Monday, that I'll talk about. But you want to take your Me Time Monday moments seriously 
And just take a few moments or a few minutes to just, as I said, clear your head, step away from the responsibilities, step away from the stress and the sense of being overwhelmed. What's really great is getting out into nature because nature nourishes our brain health and also helps us to bring our bodies back into balance when we have a stress response. You know, we suffer from nature deficit disorder. We spend 95% of our time indoors. So getting outdoors where we can just breathe the fresh air, listen to the birds chirping, you know, see the trees or see lovely bushes or flower beds or whatever it is really helps to clear our mind. Even if you do that for just a few minutes a day, you also need to breathe. You know, Dr. Andrew Weil, who is probably the guru of integrative medicine, he's written several books, including Authentic Happiness, and he talks about a breathing technique, the four, seven, eight. You breathe in for four, you hold it for seven, and then you breathe out for eight. And so this is a really important formula that you can use that helps with your breathing technique. Also using scents, you know, we forget about aromatherapy being an ancient really tradition among Egyptians and Chinese health practitioners from thousands of years ago, but things like peppermint and rosemary and citrus scents or jasmine can really help boost your mood. It boosts that serotonin, which is that feel good hormone that we have that boosts mood. Practicing gratitude is really important. Even if it's just one line a day, find a silver lining, find a positive aspect of your life and a positive aspect of your caregiving that has really helped you grow. And one of the things that's interesting is that if you practice gratitude for four weeks, that it actually lingers and grows and stays with you for the next 12 weeks. So if you can make that a daily practice, it really will help to alleviate some of your stress. Laughter is also really great. It releases the tension in our face and our necks. It again, boosts that serotonin, that feel good hormone, which is our mood hormone. And it also releases endorphins, which is our natural body's response for pain relief. So if you're feeling fatigued or you're feeling your muscles aching, laughter is great. And we laugh 30% more frequently when we're with other people. So we can laugh by ourselves, but laughing with somebody else's is really a great boost for your health. I remember when my mom was caring for my grandma and they had a situation where they just laughed about something that had happened, but it really, I think, helped both of them. And so if we can find those little humorous moments, even when caregiving, it becomes really important. And then, as I mentioned, we want to ask for and accept help. It's very difficult. We know that we want to be the ones taking care of our loved one. No one can do it as well as we can, and we understand that. But you still have to get some help. And maybe that help is with other activities. Maybe it's other responsibilities like grocery shopping or getting your car into get a tune-up or whatever it happens to be. We have to get some help somewhere because we've taken on more and we can't just keep loading up with the responsibilities without being out of balance. So getting that help is really important. You want to tap into what I call in the book, the social convoy model, which is from researcher Tony Antonucci. I tell you how to create those models for yourself, but also maybe forming an online community like Caring Bridge is another great idea where you can get people into your private community who want to volunteer and help you out. And then finally, tap into a higher power. It really takes the pressure off you to think that you're in it all alone or you have to do this all by yourself and take on all of these responsibilities and emotions. When you can tap into a higher power, it lets you know that there is something out there that will support you and give you that hope 
and give you that sense of balance and well-being in the universe. So those are the seven tips that we have for beating burnout. I hope you enjoyed this Me Time Monday wellness hack. Each episode of our Caregiving Club On Air podcast features a new Me Time Monday wellness hack. And you can check out all of these great wellness articles and tips and wellness hacks for my upcoming book, Me Time Monday, The Weekly Self-Care Plan to Balance Body, Brain, and a Busy Life, which is actually coming out this August for National Wellness Month. So you got to check that out. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Caregiving Club On Air. Please listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, and other listening channels. You can check out all the resources and article links on our episode guide page at caregivingclub.com. Just hit the podcast tab. And you can also email us with any comments or questions at podcast at caregivingclub.com. I'm Sherry Snelling and take care and stay well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Caregiving Club On Air. Please listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, and other listening channels. You can check out all the resources and article links on our episode guide page at caregivingclub.com on the podcast tab. And you can email us at podcast at caregivingclub.com. Take care and stay well.